Hi, this is G Money, and I love building Web3 community. I'm launching the first ever crypto native luxury house and lifestyle platform, 9DCC. I am here on the edge of NFT, and they're launching your brain into NFT space. So hold on tight and keep listening. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out why keeping curiosity alive is so important in life and business and how it led to G Money's latest drops. And why Jay Z's quote, My life is tailor made for me, holds so much meaning to the G Money roadmap. And how G Love is transforming community and the music business with his latest drop, the G Love Community Token, in partnership with Yellowheart. All this and more on today's episode. And don't forget, we put a little soiree last year together called NFTLA, and it brought out thousands of the world's most innovative doers in the NFT space. Head to 2023.nftla.live to get on the whitelist for tickets to our bigger, bolder, better, but also just as intimate and impactful event happening in Los Angeles, March 20th to the 23rd, 2023. See you there. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features G Money, founder of the Admit One NFT, which provides holders access to the entire G Money ecosystem and 9DCC, the first ever crypto native luxury house and lifestyle platform. G Money is a renowned NFT cultural thought leader, educator, and community authority known for sporting his iconic orange beanie crypto punk which we actually are seeing here with him on zoom he has deep investment experience and used his time during the pandemic as a catalyst to understand blockchain technologies and become a leader in the space as well as to invest and advise over 80 blockchain projects giving him unparalleled access to the best and most innovative technologies G-Money is also one of the largest collectors of NFTs in the world and was listed in the inaugural list of Fortune's Nifty 50 of the 50 most influential people in NFTs. He has advised major corporations, celebrities, entertainers, and athletes around the world on their NFT and metaverse strategies and uses his platform to elevate minorities, women in crypto, and people of color in the space and his position as the authentic voice and trusted advocate for mainstream adoption. Welcome, G Money. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. That was a mouthful. Thanks (laughs) for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, it's your fault for being such a prolific leader in this space, man. And it was great to connect with you IRL at NFTLA. And man, that feels like months ago. You said something was coming, but didn't really give us more than a sneak peek. And it clears like you've done some really epic stuff the last few months, and we're excited to learn more about it today. Yeah, awesome. I'm excited to talk about it. It's been a really long and thoughtful journey, even though that I was just publicly coming out with it. It's been something that I've been working on and thinking about since I got into the crypto space. So it's been fun. It's been a really fun process. Yeah, it's dope, man. Well, before we dive in, for those that don't know about your prolific background, it's important for everyone to understand that you've done a lot in finance and investing and advising for a long time. And you actually wrote a manifesto that sort of goes into the genesis of the Admit One drop. And for those that sort of haven't read the manifesto yet, I'm sure they're going to be excited and want to dive in after the show. Give us like the cliff notes and some of this origin story that led to what we're talking about today. The manifesto was, it's kind of like, I put it out there in place of a roadmap because to me, it's like, as long as I had a set of guiding principles, when I explained why I was launching the community now and my reasons for doing so, and also listing, I believe it was 30 or 31 different principles that I kind of try to live by the most in my life. And kind of be like, hey, these are my guiding principles. I'm working on some really cool things. You don't know what's coming next. That's just how life is, right? But like, 
I do think that we're in a really important part of the cycle in that this is kind of almost like the calm before the storm of like real mainstream adoption. And so that to me has been really exciting over the last few months is that even with this massive pullback in the space, you still have people that are getting up really excited about the technology, really excited about the community building. And that's something that to me, it's like, eventually like the success will come, right? Like I think something you always hear is every overnight success is years of hard work that goes into that, right? So it's like, I think we're in that years of hard work period that will lead to the quote unquote overnight successes over the next two to five years. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Unpack that hard work part of your statement a little bit more for us. And let's throw humility out the door for a moment. Like what is some of the nuts and bolts of what you've been building over the last few years that led to this moment? I think some of it has been when I first got in the space in August of 2020, when I went down the NFT rabbit hole, because I've been involved in crypto since 2017. And when I started going down the NFT rabbit hole, it started making sense to me very, very quickly because I started playing Fortnite at the beginning of quarantine. And so when I started playing Fortnite, I started playing with my friends and their nephews. And these kids are like 10, 11, 12. And the first thing that they would ask me is, what skins did you buy? I'm like, skins, they don't give me any special powers. Why do I spend seven, eight bucks on something just to change how I look? This game is free to play. And what I didn't realize, it took me a few weeks to realize is that like, I was like, yeah, like I started spending a bunch of money on skins. And it was then that I was like, wow, we're going to have this massive super cycle where these kids are 12 years old. And in 10 years, they're going to be 22. They're going to have their own disposable income and they'll be totally okay with owning a purely digital asset. So there's going to be this massive super cycle. I don't know how to harness it just yet, but I know I need to pay attention to it. And then lo and behold, I find NFTs about five, six months later. And I was like, oh, this is it. Like this is an NFT. This is your profile picture. That's your skin on Twitter. And I start going down the rabbit hole. And I remember when I first started, I would go in and I would like find a project and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to buy like three, four, $5,000 worth of this project. And I wanted to do it across maybe like 10 to 20 different projects. And I remember I was a whale then, right? Buying somewhere between three and $5,000. And I'd go in and I'd like sweep the floor. Or I'd buy a bunch at once and people would be like, whoa, whoa, don't spend all your money at once. Like spread it out. I'm like, no, no, I, I have my plan. And I remember I had heard about CryptoPunks, but I was like, I don't want to buy CryptoPunks. I want to buy the next CryptoPunks. And I was going around to these different projects. I ended up minting a bunch of Chromie squiggles one day because I'm like, I wanted to own 500 in total. I ended up only minting, I think, a little under 300. But I remember when I went into Chromie Squiggles, I was trying to figure out how to do a mass mint function, a batch mint function. And I couldn't figure out how to do it. I couldn't find the Discord. So I just sat there in front of my computer for about 45 minutes or an hour, just minting for like an hour straight. And then once I was done, I went to go check my Discord and somebody recognized my wallet from like other projects that I had swept. And they were like, oh, like they posted the link to the Artblocks Discord. And I went in there and like, I saw like people were just going nuts because when I started minting, I think I started minting around the 1700s. And again, like I just didn't know, maybe people will want to own like a historic year for a squiggle or the year that their dad was born or the year that their kid was born or whatever. So I was like, I'm going to mint for like the next three, 400 years and just see like what I get. And I did that. And I saw people were just going nuts, like running home from dinner to mint stuff, like while I was minting and, and all this stuff. And then Snowfro, the founder of our blocks is like, dude, what are you doing? Stop wasting your money. Like if you're going to be spending this much money on NFTs, you need to buy a crypto pump. And then him and a couple other of the OGs spent like the next two or three days red pilling me on crypto punks. And I was like, oh, I get it now. Like this makes so much sense. And I bought a zombie, I think a few days later, and I was looking for a crypto punk ape, which I bought about a month later. And when I bought the ape, I wrote my thread on Twitter, which went viral on crypto Twitter. And that was really the beginning of like G money, the crypto punk ape, because I realized at the time that I was just seeing the space very differently than most. 
And if I was going to go around red pilling people, one dinner conversation at a time, like nobody would ever understand what NFTs are. And I was like, I needed the power of social media to really get my message out there and put my point of view out there. And hopefully people would agree with it and follow it and understand it. And so I remember when I started that thread, I think I had around 50 followers or something. And I was like, if I get to 10,000 by the end of the year, I'll consider this a massive success. And I think I got to 10,000 within like one or two months. And the rest has kind of been like history ever since. Yeah, dude. That's so amazing. Jeff, I'm reflecting on like our combo with Eric Snowfro and about how Chromie Squiggle started. And it's a fun story, man. If you have a moment to check out that show, I'm sure you know personally Eric's story too, but he delayed his launch for a couple months because he was degenning on NBA Top Shots. And that delay is what sort of gave momentum a chance and serendipity to work. And you just realize a lot of this is just happenstance and people are looking for that magic bullet, but we're still learning together. Yeah. 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 Yeah, man. And so you took all that experience, all those core beliefs, all the feeling and DNA that went into that manifesto, man. He created Admit One. It was a free mint also, which is atypical for this space, but packed with utility, dude. Like, tell our listeners a little bit about that, man. Like, what are the benefits of holding one of the thousand admit ones? Yeah. So myself and the team, we spent a lot of time thinking about one, the distribution, and then two is the pricing, the mechanism, right? We were going back and forth up until like two weeks before the actual launch. And do we do free mint? Do we do an auction? Do we do an allow list? And ultimately it's like, I wanted to solve for mainly two things is one, I wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. And I didn't want any gas wars with that. And then two is I wanted to have a really wide distribution of holders. So there's currently a thousand NFTs out there. There's 890 unique wallets, right? So you basically have 89% of it across different wallets. So to me, it's like, those were the things that I wanted because I wanted to build a strong community. I didn't necessarily want 300 people kind of like hoarding the NFTs. If you want to go out there and you really are a believer in it, like you'd have to pay up. And I have tons of friends that are whales that would love to own 5% or 10%. I'm like, I want you to, you definitely can, but you have to go out and buy it on the open market. I'm not going to give it to you free. And so I think that that's done like a lot of really cool and interesting things with regards to the community building and how incentivized and how happy people have been to be part of it. Because I knew right out of the gate, I had my vision for what I wanted to do with it. I did a collaboration with Adidas for their Into the Metaverse NFT drop back in last December. And I know I'm having conversations with a lot of other brands that I think are going to be very interesting. Nothing that I can talk about just yet, but the conversations are ongoing. And just like anything in business, especially a new frontier, things take time and they usually take longer than you might want them to be. But I also knew that I wanted to launch my interpretation of what a luxury fashion brand will be in Web3. Because me as a consumer, there's just these things that I didn't see that I want to see. One of them is certifiable scarcity. Another is how can you use this for community building? A lot of these things that like to me is like a no-brainer as a consumer that I would love to see that I just haven't seen. So I'm just like, wow, the technology exists. It's out there. Nobody's harnessing it yet. And I see it. Like this reminds me very much of like when I bought my CryptoPunk. I think a lot more people understand NFTs and the utility value behind them now, but people just aren't necessarily pushing the space forward the way like they should. There are definitely a bunch of projects that are, but what the brands from, let's call them Web2, the legacy world, need to see is they need to see success on some sort of level from the crypto natives. And so if we wait for the legacy brands to do it, it'll probably never happen, right? Because they're not really incentivized to disrupt themselves or disrupt their way of doing business but it will happen from the crypto natives. So that was really the genesis behind deciding to launch 90CC. Admit One is your ticket to all things 90CC along with all the other cool things that I'm working on, but 90CC is my main focus. One of the interesting things that I wasn't expecting with the launch of Admit One was how energized the community was around it and how the community is really kind of 
help build around it. I think there were a bunch of community members really early on that were like, okay, like let's utilize this community and get on allow list. Like let's utilize the admit one community. And again, because it's a smaller community, it makes it easier for a higher percentage of community members to be give, granted access into other communities. So we had, I think around five or six people that were running around, getting onto a bunch of different allow lists. And we were like, internally, we're like, okay, well, we don't have the time to do this. This wasn't necessarily part of the plan, but people are really energized around it. Let's give them the resources they need to go around and get the community onto allow list as people see and choose to do. And we formed the Watchers, which is part of Admit One, which is literally just going out there and getting onto different allow lists. And they have their criteria for projects to get on and stuff like that. And I think that that's been really cool. That's something I didn't expect. Like if we were sitting here three months ago and I was telling you my vision for Admit One, that wasn't something that crossed my mind, but it's like, let's empower the community. And I think that that's like something that's really powerful because as much as I have my vision of what I want to do, you also have to listen to the community and give them some of what they want as well. And it's very much like the give and take. Like I have my vision and I know I'm going to execute on that the way I want to execute on it, but also kind of create that room for the community to be part of that journey with me. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating, the kind of excitement and community spirit that seems to have emerged here. It must have been really fun to kind of be a part of that. So the iteration one is the first nine DCC product launch. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What's the scoop with it? The only thing that I can say now is that it will be a t-shirt. It's going to be my interpretation of, let's say the perfect tea, that it's something that I find I'm actually wearing it right now. And it's super comfortable. I've been wearing a sample of it for the last two months or so. And it's just been something that I feel comfortable putting my name on. It's something I'm making for myself that I'm hoping other people will like as well. That's all I can kind of say right now, but there's a lot of extras that will be going into it along with the community building and all the cool stuff with that. Just more broadly speaking, as far as the iteration one is concerned, is that something exclusively accessible by your community or is there broader access to it? Could you share a little bit broad level on that? So the only way you'll be able to access it is by owning an admit one token. I purposely designed it that way. I think the interesting thing is no matter what I would have done, there would have been demand for it. And so how do you solve getting broad distribution without creating gas wars? And so for me, that was really the genesis for distributing Admit One so that now I have this kind of token-gated access where I don't need to worry about getting botted every drop because that's a headache and really nerve-wracking and no business wants to go through that in any way, shape, or form at any level, let alone like once a month or once every week or whatever. Yeah. I mean, even what we've seen with pre-mint and in spite of their best efforts, there's challenges with the tools and technology out there to support sort of that queuing process and no one's like quite figured it out. So having that established community that you work with just makes it easier. And it's a meaningful number, but it's not so overwhelming that you can't sort of engage with that community on a in-depth basis. And I don't have too much time to listen to podcasts. I just happen to turn on the one with you and on proof and got a little bit of a sense of how you're looking at the community and how you've been impressed with the amount of engagement in the community. Would be great to check in with you now a little bit further out on how the community is developing so far, what you're learning about the community and where you hope to go from here from a community perspective. Yeah. The reason why I went with a thousand was because I knew that I can provide value for a thousand people. And I think if it was a 5,000 member community or a 10,000, eventually I'll definitely get there. There's no need to rush it. To me, it's like, I want to perfect it. And that was actually advice that Kevin told me really early on back in January. It was at most a month after Proof launched. And I was kind of toying with the idea somewhere between a thousand and 10,000. And he was like, dude, do a thousand make sure you understand it. It's big enough that it has enough scale, but it's not so big that it's overwhelming and you're just going to be filling out customer support tickets every day for 20 hours a day. And so it's been an interesting learning process. Again, when I think about brands and I think about building stuff, you only really need, I forgot who wrote it, but I think everybody is generally familiar with this. You only need a thousand true fans. People have been talking about this for years, 
And I think Web3 is really putting that to the test and we're seeing it play out pretty successfully where a lot of the biggest NFT projects in the space have 3,000, 4,000 unique wallets. That's minuscule. And you're talking about these brands and projects commanding multiple millions of dollars, in some cases, billions of dollars worth of market value from such really small community already, right? So I think that shows you the value of the community and being able to interact with the community. I think that there will be a lot of cool points of interaction where there'll be opportunities for community feedback. And I think by creating and having that intimate community from the start, you're going to be able to kind of do really cool things down the road. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, that was sort of our thinking behind the size of the first NFTLA and the amount of VIP passes that we had. There's definitely way more demand, but we wanted to do something that was really meaningful for the people involved and create a level of intimacy. And that's an energy that you can't change out for anything. It's so valuable to have that intimacy. And so as we're thinking about building out the next NFTLA, we have the same thought process. How do we make it bigger, bolder, better, scalable, but also still intimate. And I think that's a good framework for everyone to think about with the projects that they created in the space. Yeah, man, you've definitely done that and excited to see where things go next. And one of those pieces, which you've talked about a lot in terms of the evolution of the project so far is partnerships and collaborations. And when we think of these next steps beyond iteration one, Do you have any partnerships or collaborations that are cooking that you could share with us? Or if you can't share the deets with us, maybe talk more broadly about how you think about collabs and partnerships? I don't have anything that I can share at the moment. When I think about collabs and partnerships, it's really things that I want, things that I want to see. I've used this quote a bunch where it's like, Jay-Z had an amazing quote on a podcast that he was on years ago, where he said, my life is tailor-made for me. And it's like, he literally just does things that he likes, that he wants. And if people like it, great. And if they don't like it, that's great too, because he's just living his best life and his interpretation of it. And I kind of have that same philosophy where I've been approached with tons of collab opportunities that would have been very, very lucrative, but they just weren't on brand for me, right? Like where somebody coming to me with a brand that's like, oh, let's do something with this. I'm like, well, I would never wear that brand. So that's just inauthentic to who I am as a person. Now, if these brands want to come to me, I'm gladly to talk to them about those things, right? And so it really is just that going to that ethos of if it's something that one, I get excited about that I want to work on because I think people understand authenticity no matter what it is. You could love Adidas and I could love Nike or vice versa. But if you're really passionate about that brand or about the project that they're working on, it comes through in your voice. You can tell that it's not like a paid shill or whatever it is. You can tell that that person is really excited to be part of that. And so that's kind of my philosophy on all the things, right? Like with Adidas, like I've been thrilled. Today is actually the one year anniversary of when I first went to Adidas HQ and met Ben White for the first time. And when I walked out of there, I was like, I like, I had to pinch myself because I'm like, I knew that that moment would come. I didn't think it would happen. That moment I thought was like three to five years away and it was three months away. And so here we are now, one year after that meeting and some of the conversations and the people that I've met and the experiences that I've had over the past year, you could have told me exactly one year ago today and I'd be like, you're crazy. Like, there's no way that that happens. Maybe a couple of years from now, but not within the next 12 months. So it's been a whirlwind experience. I'm fortunate enough that I can pick and choose the brands and the people that I want to work with and just making sure that I'm doing things that I believe in, that I think are really cool, that I think ultimately if people like G-Money, they're probably going to like the things that I like. Yeah, that's a perfect philosophy. Yeah, it's something that I totally resonate with, and especially when it comes to people that you could potentially have some influence. It's always nice to just meet them, talk to them. Do I like this person? And sometimes you meet someone and it could be a bad day. It's good to like, think about it. Right. But yeah, are we vibing? And if you're not vibing, you don't pressure stuff like that. So next question, do you have any kind of roadmap things you want to discuss? I know there's some things that are in process and things that you don't necessarily need to share about. That's totally fine. But what are you thinking about if it's not specifics, as you look into the next several years? I have my internal roadmap that I won't share with the public. I think that when you talk about roadmaps, it's like, 
I used to trade equities, publicly traded equities before I went full-time into NFTs. And one of those things is like, when you make an announcement of what you plan on doing, your investors hear it for sure. So does your competition. And so you lose some of that element of surprise of what you're working on. Companies will give broad strokes every few years, but they won't sit there and tell you every earnings conference call is like, well, we're going to release this five pairs of Yeezys this quarter. And these are the dates we're going to release them on because one, obviously life gets in the way, right? So there's supply chain constraints or maybe some legal holdups or whatever it is, contract negotiations, whatever it is that happens, but you have to kind of trust in the team. And that's why like management makes a huge difference, right? That there's people that are proven executors, they will execute and you can trust that. And there's a premium that's given to that. So as much as I really enjoy the things that I'm working on and I'm excited to talk about, I really don't want to be beholden to a roadmap. Also, it's like new things come up. Like I meet new people and I'm introduced to new people all the time. They're like, oh, we want to implement this type of solution. And I'm like, wow, like, let's get that. How do we do that as soon as possible, right? And I'm going to use two examples. One was when I did the Bitcoin Miami scavenger hunt, where it was basically a three-day POAP event. I decided this three days before I was going to Miami. I met Patricio from POAP so he can give me like the QR codes. Cause at the time, the only way was you had to like make individual QR codes that you would then hand out. And then I hired two or three different models across three different days to stand at three different locations. So let's say if the first day was Friday, I had one stand at one location for two hours, I tweeted it out. And then people went out of their way, maybe a half a block or a block from the convention to go get these POAPs. And over the course of three days, I think a total of like somewhere between 60 and 90 people collected them. 11 people collected all three across all three days. And the feedback I got on that was like, wow, this was one of the best things I did this week because it was fun. It was playful. It wasn't like much of a lift. But two is what I knew when I was doing it is like, if a celebrity or brand were to come into the space and do that, if they only gave out five POAPs, they would consider that a massive failure. They gave out a thousand, they might consider that a massive failure. For me, I was like, I'm going to experiment Maybe there's something from here that works. Maybe there's something that doesn't. But at the very least, we're not going to find out until five, 10,000 followers at the time. I have the opportunity to fail. I can sit there and learn from my experiences and make it better next time. It went off great. POAP then did an NFT NYC scavenger hunt a few months later in November. And they've been like playing around with that idea and playing with those things with POAPs and things. And it really started like helping POAP it already was used at a ton of crypto conferences, but I think it really started making it well-known in like the NFT space. And so I think like by doing cool things like that, that I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this. I'd like to see it. Let's implement it. By not having a roadmap really gives me the opportunity to do cool things where I'm like, oh shit, that's cool. That's new. All right, this is what I want to do with it. Like how fast can we do it? Because the larger a corporation is, the longer it's going to take them to do something where they're like, oh, we're moving at the speed of light. And that's 18 months for a multi-billion dollar corporation, whereas we can do it in one week in crypto. Yeah, I love that. I love that lesson too of how a small success can be a big success. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about, just deciding to do a mint of a thousand. One of the great advantages of having only six people who were able to gather those three total is you can treat them extra special without having to bend over backwards. If there were like a thousand people that collected all three and you wanted to do something special, sort of recognize that or celebrate that, it'd be a totally different ballgame. So to that point, the 11 people that collected all three of those POAPs were the only people that were airdropped admit one, not having to do anything in the order that they finished the collection. So whoever collected all three first got the first NFT all the way up to a number 11. Very cool. Boom. There it is. That's great. We've got a little scavenger hunt idea cooking as well. So definitely excited about the possibilities there of sort of just making it more fun to be a member of the community, both virtually and in real life and all the rewards and joy and value that can be delivered with NFT culture. That's not as easy without NFTs in the mix. So it's pretty awesome how you really pioneered that area. And there's definitely some other giants in the space that I know that you respect and that you've looked to for inspiration. 
would love sort of to hear just some of the highlights in terms of projects in the space that you really admire, people, sort of what types of projects you think are doing pioneering things. Yeah, so I'm a huge fan of obviously everything that Snowfro and Artblocks are doing. He's like my wiser brother that he's kind of like my North star in the space. And I love jamming stuff with him every few weeks. Obviously I'm a huge fan of Chromie Squiggles and everything that Artblocks does. And I know that the way they really think about community, I think is unparalleled. I think what Justin Arrasano is doing over at Quantum Space is amazing as well. With regards to projects, Kevin Rose is doing an amazing job with Moonbirds, right? And I think, I think what we're starting to see now is the branch away from art. And so where does utility come in or where does something other than just here's a pretty picture to look at? That's nice. And that's totally fine if that's what you want to do. But also it's like realizing that everything in the real world is an NFT. So as the world becomes more and more digitized in the future and more of those assets come on chain, they will come on chain as NFTs. At some point in the future, I don't know when, we're not going to be calling these things NFTs anymore. They're just going to be things. It's going to be like, digital hat, or it might just be hat. And that's kind of the world we're headed to. And so to me, the stuff that I'm super interested in general is people that are pushing the boundaries, trying new use cases. I don't necessarily have as much time as I'd like anymore to kind of really dig in the weeds and into discord and really like kind of try to find new up and coming projects. But when stuff comes across my desk that I find interesting, I try to look into it. Very cool. We just had uh, Mila Kunis's business partners on and their new project, which is sort of film and metaverse and gaming related. Anything in this sort of any perspective that you want to share on the gaming side of NFTs and the music side? Because I think those are really interesting areas. Yeah. So I think gaming is really hard. And I think that you'll have the big majors like Activision and EA and Take-Two They'll spend millions and millions of dollars and spend years of development to release something and it still will flop. So to me, one of the scary things is it's great, right? Like we're getting a ton of developers coming into the space that are building stuff on Web3. But I think I don't necessarily have an edge in a lot of this stuff, which is why I've invested in a few things. I'm an investor in Axie. I'm an investor in a bunch of other games as well. But I know for me, it's... Not necessarily something that I have an edge in because I'm not a gamer. So if somebody were to come at me with pretty graphics, I'm like, yeah, that looks great. Like graphics wise, I definitely play this game, but I just don't know gameplay wise if I would play the game or if I'm even the target demo. And so because of that, there's certain founders that I've backed that I like. I think one of the best founders that I've seen in the gaming space is Brooks Brown with Nor. NOR. And I think that his way, and I interviewed him on my podcast a few months ago, his way of kind of viewing the space of just gaming in general, I think is really interesting. And it was so contrarian to everything I had seen with regards to game development up until that point that I was like, I mean, this guy is just like next level. Like literally, like I felt like I was sitting in on a master's level college course. It was just really, really informative. So I think gaming is, the hits will definitely come, but I just don't know where it comes from. I don't know how it happens. It's probably going to be something that people didn't expect, right? Like why did Facebook succeed when there were probably four or five iterations of social media networks before them that didn't succeed? I think it's probably the same thing. We're going to see the same process happen in Web3. Right on. Yeah, lots of good stuff happening, dude. And so much of it is flowing through what you've built. Hey there, NFT space cadet. Let's zoom in on the globe from outer space today to Abbott Kinney Boulevard in Venice Beach, LA. Let me show you a cosmic tech beacon that shines out among the bustle of fashion, art, and food there. It's a thriving software dev, data science, and design studio known as AE Studio, where scores of the sharpest minds have come together to help founders and execs create software and machine learning solutions that are not only profitable and increase our agency as humans, but that give us that warm, fuzzy feeling that elegant tech so wonderfully does. AE's breadth of talent allows them to build anything from instillvideo.com It's a health, fitness, and wellness app that makes your chakras tingle to award-winning brain-computer interface solutions that could quite literally bend our minds. 
Oh, and keep an eye out for Token Runners, their NFT white label marketplace, as well as their highly anticipated NFT drop, Boomer NFT. Now, for all you DGENs who strive to shed the cummerbund and pearls, comes a jaw-dropping, awe-inspiring partnership not seen since the heyday of Shaq and Kobe. It's called Edge of AE Studio, and you can find out all about it at edgeofae.com. That's right, this full-service, soup-to-nuts, end-to-end, whole-enchilada NFT service can help you, yes, you, Randy, launch your NFT project. Edge of NFT and AE Studio have come together like Voltron to get your project in gear so you can hightail it straight to the moon, stardom, and maybe even your own private yacht. Go to edgeofae.com to find out more. That's edgeofae.com. Actual results may vary depending on moon landing location, domain of stardom, scale and model of yacht, as well as weather scale model of yacht or actual yacht. We want to take a minute and switch gears a little bit, though, and ask you some questions, dude, to get your personal perspective on things. It's a segment we call Edge Quick Hitters. It's 10 set questions we ask every guest of our show. We're looking for short, single word word responses, but we might dive a little bit deeper here or there. You ready to jump in on these things? Yeah, let's do it. All right, man. Question number one. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? One of the first things I remember is I was probably like eight or nine summer camp. We went on a trip to like a Mets game. That was like the first time I went to like a baseball game without my parents. And I think it saved up like 20 or 30 bucks or something from like allowance and stuff. And I like blew it all like on like souvenirs from the game. But I remember, and I guess this was an important lesson is there was this one kid that was older that asked to borrow 10 bucks or something. And he said, he'd pay me back the next day. And I let him borrow it. So like most of my stash went for this kid to buy his thing and I never saw him again. And so like a hat or something like that. And I remember like my parents were not happy that I blew all of my allowance on souvenirs, but then also that I basically subsidized this kid's souvenir buying. That's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind, which it's a good lesson, right? It's an early lesson learned for 10 bucks, bro. <laughs> yeah, that was a D-level loan you gave out there with a very high risk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's better than 10 grand or 100 grand or more, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> was the lesson how to pick up an extra 10 bucks as a kid <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from <right>? another kid? <laughs> that kid could have yeah. taught a master class on it, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Question two, what's the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? The first thing that comes to mind is back when Napster was out and it took one hour to download a three megabyte song, I downloaded a bunch of my favorite songs at the time. And I created a list of maybe like 30 to 40 songs that I started circulating around high school because I had a CD writer so I can make CDs. I don't know how old you guys are, but this is back when you had to go to like Tower Records or Sam Goody and spend 15 to $20 to buy an album to get two songs that you actually wanted to listen to. So what I did was, man, I can't get arrested for this, right? Uh, uh, Statute of limitations long yeah, gone, bro. <laughs> what I did was I gave people that list and they would pick like the first 60 minutes or 70 minutes, whatever you fit in any order that they want for like 15 bucks. And that was kind of like my high school hustle. I think that's around the time the G-Money nickname started coming around. And now's when you realize the whole podcast episode was a sting operation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question three. What's the most recent thing you purchased? I got a pair of sneakers from Off-White like yesterday. Solid. Nice. Are you someone that rocks your sneakers or do you put them on the shelf? Uh, what's your disposition there? I rock most of my sneakers. I technically bought two pairs. They're actually, it's actually in my wallet for mm. those that want to go out and find it. But I haven't tweeted about it yet, but at some point I will. I don't think I'll ever wear them, although I'd really love to. But yeah, I usually wear my sneakers. Right on. Ask Gary V that same question. We were at VCon. He said he's definitely one to rock his gear. So question number four, what's the most recent thing you sold? The last thing I sold was my go to mint pass. I'll probably live to regret that, but I did sell that probably in the depths of the bear market. Gotcha. Yeah. As we often do in the world of NFTs, often regret those sales. It's question five. What is your most prized possession? It's probably my ape, to be honest. It's probably my crypto punk. Yeah. Right on. Understandable. Question six. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would it be? What do you have your eye on? 
maybe go to space at some point. There it is. Space it is. We're filling up the ship here. We are indeed, yes. Yeah. Is that what other people have said as well? Yeah. Folks of the ilk that you and so many of our guests are in roll into, I don't know if it's Bezos or Musk's starship, but it's one of those two, man. And it's filling up, bro. So, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. We dig it. We also had a couple of people who actually getting to go on the podcast. That's true, actually. Mike Mongo. Mike Mongo's heading to space, yeah. Oh, nice. That's awesome. What other answers have people given? If this was Family Feud, it would be the number one answer for sure. Yeah, that's the big one, man. I think I'd probably land or like an island or farm either to live on or the rainforest, things like land oriented. Would be Interesting two, answers though, like people say time or something. Yeah. Or some sort of experience with someone they really admire, like dinner or some sort of special experience with someone they admire. Right. Give me some ideas. I was just curious. Yeah, no, no, that's cool, man. It's good stuff. Question seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? I would say, I think I'm really inquisitive, which is, I think, part of the reason why I ended up getting into NFTs when I did was just because I'm always open to learning from anybody. I think that's a trait that I think a lot of people have when they're young, but as they get older in crypto in general, there's just so many smart young kids that literally I could be their dad. And I'm like, you're a fucking genius and you're so much smarter than I am. Teach me as much as I can from you. And I think that inquisitive nature is something that I think is one of my strong suits. Yeah, man. Keeping that element of curiosity, I think it's hard. For some reason, it gets beaten out of people somehow in life, man. And it's like, it's so important to elevate that sense of wonder and curiosity and exploration I don't know. The world seems to sap it for some reason. Yeah. Question number eight, flip side. If you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? I'm really sloppy and disorganized kind of probably that. There was one thing I wish I could do better is just be a much neater person. Got it. Yep. Understood. Question nine, a little easier. What did you do just before joining us on the podcast? I actually just went for a walk around Paris and I was just at the Eiffel Tower right before coming here. That's a fun That's pretty one. Cool. That's got to be up there with the coolest responses to that one. Uh, question number 10. What are you doing next after the podcast? It's really up for debate. I might be going out for a few drinks with friends or I might be going to bed. It's midnight over here. So it's much later in the evening. So it's really like, do I want to just call it a night and catch up on some sleep or go out and rage? Pretty solid options, bro. <laughs> nice. Well, that's Edge Quick Hitters. We appreciate it, man. Thanks for sharing with us. I think we want to head over to hot topics now. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I think we can bring G Love in the mix. And Ethan, I will turn it over to you, man. Yeah, let's hear about it. So today's first hot topic here is all about the G Love community token. We've got a couple of G's here on the, on the podcast, incidentally, today. The G Love community token gave holders access to pre mint the Philadelphia, Mississippi album NFT 24 hours before its public sale. Yellowheart launched his community token in May, distributed about 5,000 tokens to his fans, giving fans early access to the album. It's all happening right now. They are about to do more drops with G Love. The token also gives exclusive access to G-Love's giveaways like concert tickets, art, and events. It was made available via Yellowheart, a global leader in entertainment NFTs, including tickets, music, and collectibles. They've been on the podcast and we're good friends. G-Love's community token was Yellowheart's most successful drop to date. And G-Love's album is number one on the blues charts for the first time in his career. Wow. G-Love, congratulations. That's so exciting. Welcome to Edge of NFT. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And wow, this has been just so informative to hear G-Money speak on dropping so much knowledge on the NFT space. Yeah, it's been a really great ride, kind of jumping into the space. You know, there's been a lot of challenges. My biggest thing right now is trying to get people over, music fans in particular, and the community that we've built over the years doing live shows all around the world to get those people over into this space, which continues to really (laughs) be a difficult situation. But I mean, you pulled it off though, man. I mean, in a sense with the success and 
awesome to collaborate with Yellowheart, rocking the Yellowheart hat to show some support there. And I got to just say, my girlfriend's been a huge fan of yours for many, many years and was super pumped to hear that you'd be on our show today. We were at your concert in LA recently. And what was the experience like to do this with your fans and to see that compounding effect of the NFT supporting the physical sale of the album? Yeah, no, it was really cool. Like this was my third drop that I've done. I did a PFP collection, 10,000 with Moonwalk and then with Dave Krugman, All Ships Co. and Lock Party, we did the Hembo Henning G Love first tour poster drop. And then we saw them, the Yellow Heart thing was the third project I got to work on. And it was so cool, man, because we put out the community token and people just really minted a lot of them. And it was like, wow, this is happening. So it was really exciting. I mean, just to be honest, like, so that was a free mint, the community token, and then trying to convert those into sales for the album. That's been a little more challenging. So this is just a learning process. And this is like you guys are saying, this is the kind of maybe the first inning or maybe the game's about to start with this whole community. So I'm just happy to be in it and putting into work right now and just getting it out there, man. Yeah, man. Keep grinding on that front. Yeah. And you're in this interesting position, right? Because not a lot of people bring such a distinctive community along with them, where on one side is a big advantage, right? Because they follow you, they know you, there's this passion there, this connection, this relationship already. But by the same token, those folks aren't necessarily like crypto native. They don't necessarily understand the space to your point. What steps are you taking to try to educate them and help them out, whether it's getting a wallet or actually understanding the dynamic of NFTs and how it relates to your work? Like, what are you guys doing on that front? That was an interesting part of working with Yellowheart because their platform is pretty user-friendly for newbies because you can just purchase with a credit card. So that in itself is a pretty big deal. If you think about like when we were all first learning into the space and everybody had like a guru or someone kind of coaching them and teaching them how to get the wallet and move funds from here to here. And now you know how to do those steps, but like you could think back, man, there was like your kind of brain was frying sometimes trying to figure out all these steps. So it's a challenge to get people to do simple things like you know, set up a wallet. Like you're going to have to go to Coinbase. You're going to have to put in money. You got to connect your bank account, drop 500 bucks in or whatever, buy Ethereum, then move the Ethereum to MetaMask and then move the, you know I mean? So this is a lot of steps for people that maybe just use the internet to look at Instagram. So what are we doing? Like just kind of trying to outreach with tutorials on how to get wallets. And again, just like G Money was saying, just constant conversations, just one-on-one with people that you come in contact with trying to convert people over into the space. Yeah. Kudos to you for putting in the time. I know from experience, it's not easy. Sometimes it can get frustrating too, but the good thing is that it will get easier. It's like you think of the internet 25 years ago, it wasn't easy at all. And today to your point is right. It's like you just hit one button on Instagram and you like, right? And so I think 5, 10, 20 years from now, we're going to be in a very different world. And everybody here will be seen as one of the leaders of the movement, which is amazing. Just to your point, like, I hope so, you know, and because I think this is what we're seeing right now as far as how NFTs and the blockchain is connecting with music is you're really at what I'm calling the second great pantsing of the music industry. If we look back to... 2001 with Napster when that came out and, you know, the age of like, quote, digital piracy. And you were saying earlier, just people ripping music and stealing music. And then, you know, of course, it's kind of then the big boys came in, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music. And what they basically like just did every artist worse than like any record company has ever done in the history of music business. So you look at a space right now where no one buys a record artists don't get paid anything from the streaming platforms so unless you're like taylor swift or some major major pop artist giving major major streams you're not making anything compared to the records that you used to sell even if you didn't sell a lot of records so now with nfts like the deal that i have with yellowheart i retain 90 percent of sales what business like ever gave 
musicians, 90% of anything never has happened. So this is a tremendous situation where this is pushing the artists forward, pushing creativity forward, pushing the fan experience forward and giving more power and money and control and perpetuity back to the artists. And why I call it the pantsing, because once again, just like in 2001, when the labels got caught with the digital streaming and no answer for it for what, 10 or 15 years, huge companies went under, huge music business leaders went under, like everybody lost their job, everybody consolidated. So this is the beginning of what could be the next thing like that. Yeah, it's super disruptive stuff. So as we look at the next steps for you, got the album out there, you got the community building, what's coming next? You know, you had a couple drops before this, you got some more drops coming up, you got some more utility you're building for this community. What should we expect next from you? Yeah, right now we're just trying to give the holders that minted the album, there already was a lot of utility because there's the community token, which was free, and they got the origin token, which enabled streaming and downloading of the full record then the next drop showed you what album you got whether you got like a black colored vinyl or like a limited gold vinyl or one of five test pressings and then there's like experiential things like tickets meet and greets and a chance to win like a free house concert show and then we're doing fun things like i do some paintings and stuff and like these hats we're giving some giveaways like that so yeah that's kind of what we're looking forward to right now with my other project, like the PFP for Juice Gang, and actually I'd be kind of interested to hear your guys' thoughts on that because we're trying to, it was a PFP. When we did it, I really didn't know too much about the space. It only minted 305 out of 10,000. We have a small community and we're talking about a bunch of guys and gals on Discord want to do a free mint. What are you guys' thoughts about the free mint situation right now? It's obviously been a trend like all spring and summer is it like, what team money what do you think man i mean listen is i guess one of the pioneers of the free mint situation i'm all for it i think it works to be honest i wouldn't have done it if i didn't think it works i think ultimately at some point down the road you'll end up making more on secondary royalties than you would if you minted them so if you sold them on the primary so i think it also does a lot for the community and it really really gets the community engaged because anybody that minted is in the money at any price, right? So I think it does something magical to the community. And I think it's just something to consider for sure. How would you push the free men out just to get more eyes on it? You know what I'm saying? Like, what if you put a free men out and it doesn't even mint out? So then I think probably that comes down to just kind of like other community outreach of just reaching out to other communities that you vibe with, or maybe that members of your community already that are part of, right? right? that you kind of go into their discord, you do an AMA. I think it's evolved of like how, let's say, marketing a new project works now than it did even six months ago. I don't think like, yeah, it's fine to do a Twitter spaces, but I think you'll probably get more conversion from going into individual discord, doing AMAs, talking directly to the founders and working with them and getting allow list spots for each community and making sure you just have a diverse set in there that is the targets that you want. I totally agree. I went to a private demo of a new project this weekend in LA with a small group of three people that got to see this project in action, what they were going to do. And these guys are doing this every day, these five or six demos for the whole month. And that takes a lot of work. But think about the level of intimacy and connection you get with those people by doing the time, by getting into that sort of environment. And I think this bear market is forcing people to be a little bit more oriented towards building true relationships and educating people about their project. And it certainly inspired me. I'm going to mint. And I think they probably have a pretty high hit rate from doing those one-on-ones. Yeah, great feedback all around, for sure. Well, G-Love, man, we appreciate you coming on and sharing with us all about your collaboration with Yellowheart, your history, where you're going next, man. We got to give people a place to follow this project to make sure that they're staying up to date on everything you got popping. Where should they go to follow the community token yourself, all these projects that you got going on? You can find me on Twitter at G-Love, just at Glove, on Instagram at Philly Glove. G Love and Special Sauce on Facebook and our homepage is 
philadelphonic.com. So we're just on tour all summer right now. It's a, kind of the first big tour since the pandemic. So just stoked to be back out on the road. And one more little thing I'm thinking about doing, our next project's going to be, we have, and I don't even know if this is legal, so maybe G Money and I are both getting locked up after today's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got like a storage space full of all of our master reels, like the Ampeg two-inch tapes from back in the day. So we were shooting like 50 of the reels and going to do like this master reels NFT drop. And then each NFT will be unique and they'll each represent one reel, which has whatever songs that we recorded, like Blues Music, Baby's Got Sauce some more obscure tunes and some other ones. So that's going to be the next thing happening in the fall. And yeah, but other than that, just keep plugging away. So it's really informative to be here with you guys today. Thank you. Sure thing, man. Great having you. And yeah, word on the street is we got a little giveaway as well. We're going to do, I think it's five of the new G-Love album NFTs. So listeners, keep an eye out on our socials for that. We'll be giving you the deets on that giveaway and going to be super, super cool. So again, keep an eye out for that great album cover. Dude, thanks again for joining us. Really appreciate it. Can't wait to see where you go next. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thanks for joining. Take Take care, care. man. Take care. Good luck. Yo, thanks, G-Money, man. Pleasure to hear you, brother. Likewise. All right. Talk soon. So yeah, guys, look, I think we do have a couple of other interesting hot topics here. If we got a moment to cover these, we good on going in some Yuga Labs legal trouble potentially? Yeah. All right. Let's jump in on this. Let's hit it. Interesting stuff. So Yuga Labs may face a potential class action lawsuit over ApeCoin and NFT sales. According to the international law firm Scott and Scott's websites, <laughs> that just sounds like two high school kids said, let's start a, <laughs> start a law firm called Scott and Scott. All right. Anyway, sorry, that's an aside. There's a possibility that the non-fungible token company Yuga Labs may be threatened with a class action lawsuit for generally promoting the growth aspects and change for huge returns on investment to unsuspecting investors. Okay, well, it's a little bit close to home for a lot of people. I know that I heard about Ape because we're in NFT space. And what I think is interesting about this is I met a woman at a little gift shop when I was visiting California for NFT LA. And she told me she had bought her first cryptocurrency. I thought it'd be Ethereum or Bitcoin or something. I said, what is it? She said, ApeCoin. And I said, oh, wow, that's fascinating. I haven't even got a chance to get some ApeCoin yet. And I know all about it. I said, how did you hear about it? And she said, I heard about it from Oprah. (laughs) So if there's something going on here, Oprah's in on it. She's got her feet in hot water again. I don't know. (laughs) Look, man, here's the thing I'll say about Number one, any celebrity, any endorser, this is just branding 101. You're trying to elevate the value of your brand by collaborating with endorsers. And the more you can find alignment with them and authentic supporters, the better it is to ultimately push the value of your company. If it's private, increase sales of your product, increase the stock price ultimately, which is the value of public companies. That seems to have no merit to me. Number one. Number two, I mean, to me, that just says that Yuga Labs is that much more legit. Because once you start getting like tort cases coming at you, you know, these bogus lawsuits, You've definitely landed. I mean, they landed a long time ago anyway, but that is par for the course, normal kind of stuff. People threaten class action, this and that. It's an unfortunate reality of doing business and growing a business these days and achieving success. You got to have a big legal team to deal with these kinds of things, but that's normal shit. This seems completely unfounded to me from what I'm reading here, but I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Yuga Labs has a pretty big valuation, right? $4 billion dollars. There's definitely a set of lawyers that pride themselves on finding big companies and sort of trying to get a paycheck and get them to sort of close shop on the case as quickly as possible here. So they poked a big bear. And I think it's going to be difficult for them to prove this case in the long run. I'm not hopeful about this lawsuit unless there's certain things I don't know about how they used more explicit language than we normally do, but we all want to create more value in the world. I think that's part of being human. That's being part of creating anything in the business, whether it's a digital collectible, a physical collectible. I think value is what makes the world go round. So I'm very skeptical about this lawsuit. G-Money, what are your thoughts? I'm just kind of seeing this now, but from what it looks like from the explanation is they're trying to classify it as security. 
which I think would have bigger implications for the NFT sector in general. And in order to kind of win a case like this, it probably comes down to certain legalese talk and like terms and conditions that I'm sure Yuga Labs showed their lawyers and had their lawyers sign off on before having any official communications and stuff. But to me, it just seems like they're trying to classify it as security, which is probably like a bigger issue and a more resounding issue. And I don't know if we necessarily get that answer from this lawsuit, but I don't know enough about law, to be honest. I think you included on something. There's a lot of squirrely stuff that happens in that world. For example, like the open sea case where we had the, was the CTO or whatever that was like manipulating the system and picking up NFTs and then highlighting them on OpenSea. And the SEC got involved in that case, which was a clear move to classify NFTs as securities. And that was like the subtext of the article, but that was unquestionably a big part of the motivation. And so, yeah, I think that's an interesting angle on this. It could be a play there. Yeah. And if just to be clear, if you read on in the article, it doesn't look like they actually have filed any sort of a lawsuit yet. They're sort of gauging interests from potential investors. So that's what's going on. Once I hear class action, I hear money grab. That's the thing. You see it so often. And it's just like people make their living out of freaking class action lawsuits. It's a bummer. So what are you going to do? Well, hopefully that's not the case. I think Yuga Labs is like really moving the needle in the space. And that would be a bummer. Somehow that got thwarted. Okay. More lawsuits. (laughs) Pulp Fiction NFT lawsuit. Miramax versus Tarantino et al. In the midst of the NFT craze in late 2021, Tarantino launched an NFT collection consisting of digital images of portions of the handwritten versions of the Pulp Fiction screenplay. NFTs were auctioned on the NFT exchange OpenSea. In response, Miramax sued Tarantino and Visiona for breach of contract, copyright infringement, trademark infringement, and unfair competition. We actually got a chance to talk with someone from Secret Network who kind of helped with this launch of Quentin's and they couldn't comment deeply about it themselves. But one thing that was interesting that they noted was that apparently, again, according to the interview that I did, that when Miramax was suing, they were secret NFTs. So yes, he said they were kind of like, here's some of my private notes on the script and stuff like this. But if you get it, it's secret and only you can see it unless you want to share it. So theoretically, Miramax was suing over content they actually didn't know what it was, which is interesting if it's true. Yeah, I mean, G-Money, you were on the panel you mentioned with Quentin right before this lawsuit dropped. Did it catch you by surprise? Yeah, I mean, I don't have a Hollywood background, so I don't know the terms of these contracts. But from the way Quentin was describing it on the panel was that this was it'd be pieces or it'd be notes or it might have even been the original manuscript that he wrote that was like sitting in his basement anyway. So like it was his property. It's also really bizarre, I think. And I guess this happens in showbiz a lot where it's like you create something and then you have no rights to it in the future, but it's his creation, right? It's his baby. It's his vision. And it's just weird. I think how that works. So this kind of goes back to why we're all here in the NFT space and how this empowers creators, right? Is like taking out those middlemen that kind of write everything in. And I'm not sure if it was for this lawsuit or maybe another lawsuit where something as little as any digital iteration, like you own the rights to anything in a digital format forever. And then does that encompass NFTs? Is that not? That probably does encompass NFTs if it's written in that language, right? But maybe there was exclusionary language that doesn't. So I think it'll be really interesting to watch this as a big Pulp Fiction fan and Quentin fan. I think this will be really interesting to watch unfold and probably sets a pretty decent precedent. Yeah, big precedent for sure. Gatekeepers trying to hold on to power, I think, at the end of the day. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. To your point, I did hear someone recently say they were fighting to get the rights to their life story back. <laughs> so oh, wow. apparently you can accidentally sell away the rights to your own life story. I guess you can't tell any stories at parties. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but it's kind of scary. Yeah, it is. A quick shout out. We love to give appreciation to the friends and fam out there. So we have a shout out today to Gully, which is at Foreign Exchange. That's X. C-H-N-G-E, and Ali, which is at NFTs with three E's before the Z and one after. (laughs) These are producers and co-hosts of the On the Blockchain podcast, where hip-hop meets Web3. 
And we really just wanted to say hi and give a shout out and to spread the love. They're always showing love on Edge of NFT and NFT LA Instagram and supporting the content we put out. We really love having allies in the space. And so big shout out to Foreign Exchange and NFT Freeze. That's Gully and Allie of the On the Blockchain podcast. Hope to meet up with you sometime soon. Much love. Appreciate it. Well, it's been an amazing show, G Money. Thanks so much for joining us and spending this time with us here, dude. We got to give folks all the deets on where to follow you and this amazing stuff that you got popping. Where should they go, man? Yeah. So Twitter is probably the best. G Money NFT for myself. Admit 0001. That's three zeros and a one for all things Admit One and 90CC XYZ for 90CC. I think I'm working on some really cool and exciting things. The next few years, I think are going to be really exciting in a whirlwind. So excited to share everything I'm working on. There it is. We appreciate it. So listeners, yeah, please follow G Money and all these projects. So many cool things happening there. Lots of alignment around his belief in ours. Okay. Well, I think we have reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventurers on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Also look us up on all major social platforms by typing at edge of NFT with no spaces and start a fun conversation with us online. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.